Hey everyone, welcome back to uh, BioNexus podcast series, Autism Uprooted. I'm Dr. Jodi Deshore, as you all know. Uh, today we have a, uh, a unique opportunity. Uh, you, you guys may remember that we spoke with an amazing mom from uh, Serbia, right, Alexandra. And uh, she has uh, taken the initiative to um, encourage other mothers in, in the Eastern European countries. And you know she has a, a fantastic group. The entire group is here today, absolutely dynamic moms. And uh, we will be having a um, spirited discussion about how to heal our children with autism spectrum disorder. So uh, without further ado, I will give the floor to um, Alexandra. Welcome to the BioNexus Health Podcast with Dr. Jodi A. Dashaw, who holds a PhD in integrative medicine, is board certified in integrative pediatrics, an internationally recognized pioneering clinician and author. And now here's your host of BioNexus Health Podcast, Dr. Jodi A. Dashaw. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Dashkor, for uh, making this uh, podcast for us, for our group. Uh, we are a group of moms uh, uh, that know each other for some time, uh, from first from some uh, Facebook groups, but then we also uh, established a formal association, uh, uh, which name is uh, Children Without Limits. And which is a regional association where which aim is uh, to promote uh, and to raise the awareness about the medical treatments for autism. And uh, this podcast will be one of uh, the activities uh, for our association, uh, and we think it will be a very important one uh, because uh, we are very much interested in the root causes of autism, uh, especially uh, Lyme disease, uh, co-infections, uh, biotoxin in less uh, mold, and so on. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. This is really a great opportunity for us to discuss these questions with you. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to be here. You know, early I said hello to um, a few, but uh, there's a lot more I just realized. So there's, uh, there's Jana, there's uh, Ivan is Mr. Alexandra, I guess. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yep. So I see there is Ladija, uh, there is Tijana, Vesna, Oh, there's such a wonderful group of moms. There is uh, Mayarmomik. I'm sorry, I'm saying it, you know, uh, well, I'm sorry about the uh, mispronunciation, but a big hello to everybody from my side. You know, happy Sunday morning for me. And it, it must be afternoon for you guys, right? Yeah, it's afternoon. It's two o'clock. Two o'clock. It's a good time. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, hope nobody will fall asleep after having a heavy lunch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, from what I understand, uh, you have, I mean, you know, um, I'm, uh, I'm happy to answer questions. From what I understand, you moms have questions for me. Yes, exactly. Uh, we have prepared some questions and um, um, maybe I can start with the questions and I don't know yes. if other moms want to also, but we have prepared the list. So, you know, maybe I can be a mediator uh, for, uh, for the podcast. And then if anybody else wants to add something, and of course, everybody's uh, welcome to, to ask uh, questions. Uh, uh, so we just have um, more people coming in. That's Sorry. About this. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> but then uh, let me start. Uh, let me start. The first question uh, we wanted to ask you in your clinical practice, uh, um, how many 
patients with autism spectrum disorder uh, have um, uh, Lyme disease and co-infections? Co because, you know, this is something, uh, a common question for us that we wonder, you know, does my child have uh, a Lyme disease and co-infections? And we know that, of course, you, you need to do the testing for this, but it seems to be very common in the kids with autism spectrum disorder. Correct. In my practice, I would say 99%. I can count on my fingertips how many, you know, did not have uh, Lyme disease. Now, uh, one thing to understand is that Lyme disease is a clinical diagnosis. Okay, when you go on the US CDC website, even there you will see, you know, in spite of all of the controversy surrounding Lyme disease, it, it is uh, stated and acknowledged by the CDC as well that you know, it's a, a very complex disease. There are co-infections and a lab testing is often inaccurate. You know, and there, is, there are many reasons for that. One of the main reasons for that is uh, there are many immune suppressing mechanisms that are demonstrated by, um, by the Borreliosis bacterium, right? So the, the CDC states that it is best to proceed with a clinical diagnosis if your practitioner, obviously you need a proper, you know, eyelids or um, a properly trained and experienced practitioner to be able to make a clinical diagnosis. So if there are symptoms, so it is best to start treating. Uh, considering all of this, about 99% of my patients on the spectrum that I see have Lyme disease and co-infections. And, you know, um, it may very well be that the other children, like I said, there's just been a few uh, over the last decade, you know, more than 10 years. And these are either, you know, um, truly autistic, you know, they are happy being autistic. They are, you know, there's no behaviors. There is no uh, picky eating. They're happy, they are growing, except that, you know, they are your textbook autistic children, right? Um, and there are others who are on the spectrum, but they are enormous athletes. So they are athletic. Now being very athletic, your uh, immune system is able to handle a whole lot more than children, you know, who are not athletic. So that could be the reason why. But uh, yeah, easily 99%. Wow. Wow. This is uh, uh, really uh, kind of... Uh... Uh, not to say amazing, but uh, a bit shocking uh, that uh, so many kids, because you would not expect that. I mean, uh, we, we don't have uh, people here who are specialists in uh, Lyme disease, and uh, uh, rarely anybody would be suspicious that a kid has uh, a Lyme disease. So, you know, this is for us. It's, it's really important to understand that. Uh, uh, the testing for Lyme disease, uh, the, as you say, also the clinical picture uh, should be taken into account. So, yeah. Okay, so the, the next question would be, and uh, uh, the next question would be how you, uh, how you, you said that the clinical presentation, would you recommend any tests uh, uh, that could be used for Lyme disease? Yes, sir. I remember. I have the test no, I'm sorry because we have. Uh, right. That happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me just uh, uh, try to do something to mute everybody, but I'm not sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think we are okay now. Um, yeah, uh, is there any testing? And, and you have mentioned once that even from organic acid tests, uh, you can find some indications uh, for Lyme disease. Uh, is this something that you would recommend people looking at? Or you think that um, um, that it, it's really best just to look at, at the clinical picture? Because as you say, that immune system is suppressed. Correct. See, yeah. you know, um, testing and treating go hand in hand, right? Uh, I would say testing, treating, um, and diagnosis goes hand in hand. So having an experienced practitioner in your corner is quite important. You know, if, if you are attempting to do it yourself, then ilads.org has uh, good information. You know, actually better than that, LymeDisease.org, right? It's easier to remember. So LymeDisease.org is a really good website, which gives a list of symptoms for Lyme disease and uh, co-infections. Now, you know, here's the hard part. Many of the symptoms appear to be symptoms of autism. So without an experienced practitioner, it becomes difficult, you know, uh, to diagnose. Now, there are many tests out there that, that are um, available. Now, organic acids test, you have to interpret that as a whole, right? Now, just looking at Lyme disease uh, doesn't seem to help without looking at the, the big picture of uh, biotoxin illness, because biological toxins are produced by uh, Lyme disease bacteria, it's, it's co-infections, right? So combine that with environmental toxins. So I, I feel that, you know, uh, whatever you may want to do, you know, you, if you want to do hygienics or Armin labs or organic acids or, you know, uh, try and diagnose yourself, uh, I really feel that having a practitioner at, uh, at your side who is experienced is quite important. Um, additionally, the one other thing that uh, comes to mind is herbal medicine. You know, people think, oh, it's just herbal medicine. You know, uh, it's all plant-based, natural. But remember, you, it's not advisable to do a do-it-yourself because herbs are pretty powerful. So, you know, uh, there can be die-off reactions. You have to decide the dosage based on the child's height, weight, symptoms, uh, you have to decide the order of treatment. In fact, if you guys want to uh, tune in to my um, uh, Autism One lecture this year, the, the Autism One conference is in Phoenix this year, Phoenix Mesa, uh, Arizona in the US. And I'll be uh, I have two lectures. One, I'll be speaking about pregnancy and mold right? A pregnancy mold and autism connection. And the second will be what is the correct order of treatment? So for those of you, you know, uh, who want to know more about this, um, have a look at my, um, at my lectures, you know, um, uh, autism1.org has the schedule published as well. Okay, great. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much for telling us this because, you know, we are a group of moms who is also uh, very eager to learn. And uh, as you say, we need to have uh, an experienced practitioner. But um, as you always say, we need to also follow our own instincts. And the more we know, we better follow the instinct also to find the right uh, practitioner for us. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Following instincts. Yes. Because following instincts is great. 
but you know, uh, Lyme disease and biotoxin illness are uh, pretty serious illnesses, right? You know, they affect multiple organ systems in the body and knowing what to treat, what kind of support to give, you know, each child, I mean, I've, I've got like uh, several twins in my practice. I, I even have triplets in my practice and everyone has their own customized protocol. That is the key because autism, first of all, you're told that, hey, you know, there's no cure. Okay. And when you start digging deeper and, and you find all of these medical issues, which can further complicate the autism presentation, or that might, that may very well be the cause of the autistic presentation. You know, that was the case with, uh, with my son, with my, with my Brian, because, you know, like 80% of the autism symptoms were because of underlying issues. You know, uh, once again, like I said, the big umbrella of biotoxin illness, but, you know, uh, and only 20% were like, you know, some autoimmune genetic issues that we had on my husband's side. So those, those kind of kicked into gear as well. But other than that, you know, um, he is, I would say 95% recovered right now. Nobody recovers 100%. That, that's just, you know, something that you should understand. You know, there's no cure for autism, but a lot of recovery is, is you know, certainly possible. For us, what happened was Lyme disease had already attacked for many years. You know, I didn't know it. it uh, um, I had passed Lyme disease to my son in utero. So Lyme disease affects multiple organ systems. So over the years, you know, before around six and a half years of age, when he collapsed, you know, he went into paralysis, he was in a wheelchair, excruciating pain. So Lyme disease had already damaged the bone marrow. It, it had damaged uh, the joints, you know, uh, it had damaged the growth hormone secretion in the brain. So this damage was done. So all that we have been able to do about that is prevent further damage, okay? So that is why 95%, right? Because, you know, he, he still has physical disabilities, but um, we manage, you know, overall we are functional. Like he has neck problems, uh, back issues, growth uh, issues, but overall he is fully functional, you know, by God's grace. Um, so that's, that's what we have been able to achieve so far. So it's a, a pretty hard journey to undertake. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we have seen podcasts with your son uh, and he, ah. he's really amazing, you know. <laughs> I know I feel if my son could be <laughs> you know, 90%, 85%, I would be happy because your son is now on the medical school and, you know, he's, he seems to, you know, have good friends and, you know, like leading a typical life and... Uh, this is uh, this is really an amazing achievement and you are an uh, inspiration also to 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 us other moms and thank you oh, for, thank for doing you. this work yeah, yeah 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 this is great and i think maybe just uh, to uh, one more question about the lyme disease you already mentioned that you have passed on the lyme disease to your child because many of us uh, of us do not uh, recall you know that our child was uh, beaten by uh, that it had this uh, bite um, and uh, um, could you please explain more so it is obviously possible to transmit uh, in, in utero 
and also by tick bite and also by uh, it, it can be a mosquito it can be uh, it, it is quite actually broad uh, spectrum of uh, bites that's why it's called a tick bite uh, because you know we don't remember that it has this uh, um, kind of inflamed uh, circle you know, a bullseye rash bullseye rash and yeah. so on uh, so, so that's why we are a bit confused you know if we knew that we had this bite then I think we would believe more but it seems that Lyme disease is quite common they just that expression in each individual is different. That is and, correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. And is it possible, you know, we had a question that father transmits <laughs> Lyme. <laughs> this is not possible. You know, can, can a father somehow transmit? Uh, uh, this is probably not possible. Oh, it's yes, of course. No, no, of course. Yeah, okay. Uh, because, yes, you know, one, one of my uh, pet peeves is that the, the mom gets blamed for everything. It's, you know, in, in, in many cultures, and if nobody else blames us, then we blame ourselves. <laughs> now, what did I do wrong? You know, and it's, it's you know, there's this a lot of guilt uh, and depression and anxiety, which, uh, which us autism moms, uh, unfortunately, we, we tend to do it to ourselves. And then, you know, um, uh, often extended family members, even immediate family members, will will end up blaming us as well you know if you know I've, I've had mothers with like minor issues well you know i had gestational diabetes you know and i'm like relax breathe it wasn't your fault you know another one had some kind of a strep infection somewhere during pregnancy you know she did antibiotics that's completely fine but uh, yes uh, lyme disease and co-infections are sexually transmitted as well Okay, so it, it can be sexually transmitted. It can be from uh, father to mom and then mom to child. Okay, okay. Thanks very much for this explanation. Yeah, this is kind of an opening. Uh, we have Gordana who raised hand. Uh, so maybe Gordana can ask a, a question if I understood correctly. Yeah? Yes, yes. Um, Hi, I just Gordana. Hi, hello. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, is there always a rash in a child when he has Lyme infection or? No, uh, no, maybe 15 to 20% of the time of cases that you will actually see a bullseye rash. I, I myself did not see anything, you know. Um, what happens is also another perspective to keep in mind is when the child gets Lyme disease from mom, first of all, no, there obviously isn't any rash because it came from mom, okay? Now, because the Lyme disease bacteria came from mom, the child's immune system thinks, oh, it's from mom, it's fine, it's friendly, okay? So should the child acquire insect bites that carry Lyme disease again, what will the immune system do? Nothing because the immune system thinks it's friendly. And then the new, the new Lyme disease and, and co-infections, nobody gets just Lyme, everyone gets co-infections. So the, they will start to do their number on the immune system. You, know, you, uh, you start um, to see that the immune system gets suppressed. You have a child, you will see a child you know, who never gets fevers. You will see a child who becomes overweight you know, uh, you, you will see many typical symptoms of autism develop. And some of the first symptoms that are seen 
if it is in utero transfer of Lyme, some of the first symptoms you will see is a severe colic and a lot of GI issues, a lot of GI. You know, you have the child who is not able to latch on because low muscle tone, right? Even if the mom wants to breastfeed, it's, it becomes very difficult because there's low muscle tone. You know, the child is not able to suck and swallow again because of low muscle tone. You will see delayed milestones, not severely delayed, slightly delayed. You will see that the child doesn't have, you know, really good gross motor and fine motor uh, skills. Again, low muscle tone. You will see constipation. Just remember, there are smooth muscles inside your gut. So when, when there is Lyme disease is in the picture, the low muscle tone affects all kinds of muscles, not just your skeletal muscles, you know, also the, the smooth muscles inside. Uh, it affects the heart, heart is a muscle. So there are numerous complications, but there are several early signs. For my son, you know, we had a, a weird thing that showed up in his heart, you know, it was, um, it was some kind of signal which, which they were getting at um, uh, during, the advanced ultrasound. So that was very scary, right? You know, we were given genetic counseling, you know, there was uh, a, a lot of hoopla made about it. Afterward, for three months, we had to monitor him. Um, but, but overall cardiac issue, you know, there wasn't any. He did get a cyst in his kidney, a small benign cyst, but you know, uh, so far so good. I've, I've been handling it with, with, you know, kidney friendly herbals and what have you. Uh, but yes, severe colic. Uh, thankfully, he was able to do some nursing. Um, and then after that, lots of GI issues. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much uh, for telling us this. And, you know, when it comes from your own story, then uh, it... Uh, um, and, you know, I recall how my son had severe colic issues and GI issues. It really rings a bell that uh, something seriously had gone wrong from the very start. And we, we do not understand, you know, why is that? Uh, okay, maybe now just one question that we had uh, was when you understand that the child has a Lyme disease, is it very common that uh, co-infections are present? Uh, co-infections like Bartonella, Babesia, and so on. Is this something that you also see in your practice uh, uh, and you try start treating all of them because it's, it's a common uh, um, uh, event that they, they all go hand in hand? Absolutely. Uh, everyone gets co-infections. Just which ones? Uh, that has been studied actually, right? So there are a couple studies that have been done and what has been discovered, um, and, and you know, these are like uh, pretty uh, heavy duty doctors. Uh, some of them are my mentors as well with Lyme, uh, that um, infections, co-infections like Bartonella, and Babesia are the most common, right? Bartonella, Babesia. After that, the next co-infection that, that seems to be common is mycoplasma. Uh, lots of viruses after that. And after that, you know, they're, they're, it, it just goes all over the place after that because you have rickettsia, right? You have Ehrlichia. Now, Ehrlichia is more common than rickettsia, but uh, with my son, we had uh, overall uh, 11 infections that crossed the blood-brain barrier. And uh, we had several more in the gut. 
as well. For myself, when I started, you know, one of the, one of the, I guess, supposed side effects, you could say, of um, uh, being able to treat my son was that I was able to treat myself. You know, all the excuses that, that us moms make, you know, ladies make overall, because women make a lot of sacrifices. You know, we are always looking after the family. We're always looking after the children. Oh, maybe I'm stressed. You know, maybe it's, it's, it's the wrong time of the month. But it's very important to maintain our own health. You know, you have one life to live. And I discovered that I had 19 co-infections. And who knows how, you know, uh, how long back. I mean, that's, that's a very, I do know how long back, but that's, uh, uh, you know, it's a, a story for another book, I guess. But yeah, but it's very important that um, mothers look look out for themselves as well. You know, easy thing is whatever you're doing to treat your child, do it yourself. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for the advice. Thank you for the advice. Yeah. Because as you say, we are under lots of pressure and uh, it is uh, very likely that uh, uh, we, um, uh, we also are infected, but we are not aware of that. Now we have one question coming from the chat. And uh, uh, the question is, uh, where should we look for co-infections? Urinoculture, uh, nasal swab, PCR, corpoculture? You have mentioned something about that already. I don't know if you want to elaborate. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yes. So uh, there are couple things available. One is, uh, one is urine culture uh, and second is blood test. Okay, nasal culture is not for co-infections. Nasal is for morcons and biotoxin illness and what have you. So that's, that's you know, a different topic. But yeah, so blood tests and, um, uh, and urine testing. Um, the only labs in Europe I know is Armin labs and I do not recommend urine testing. Now, DNA connections, all right, urine testing from the US, uh, I don't know where they ship or how far they ship. You know, they used to ship all over the world, but um, uh, after the pandemic issues, it's, it's been kind of scattered, you know, where they are able to ship. But uh, again, honestly, if you, if you can get blood tests done through Armin Lab, right, Tickplex Plus, that is the, the good one to try um, in Europe itself and um, DNA connections. These are the two that I would recommend for European practitioners. I mean, for uh, European clients. Okay, thank you so much uh, for this uh, because this is also a common question: how to uh, how to that you know to make sure that uh, uh, Lyme is, and co-infections are are present. You have mentioned that uh, what is also very interesting that the Lyme disease and co-infections come also with viruses, <laughs> and uh, you know this is amazing how uh, how many elements uh, can be in the. Uh, Lyme disease. So actually, when you treat the Lyme disease, you have to treat viruses at the same time, it, it seems to me. And we have uh, one of the questions is uh, about um, Epstein-Barr virus. Mm -hmm. Is this something that is also common in the Lyme disease, or you can see this separately as a problem with the, with the kids on the spectrum, or does it come all together in, in this picture of Lyme disease? It's both. 
Okay, children on the spectrum who don't have Lyme disease will also um, sometimes show a very high titers for Epstein-Barr. Now understand that, you know, studies that have been done for autism itself uh, that show that immune system is dysfunctional in children on the spectrum, right? No one has really elaborated a whole lot. And, you know, uh, this, this was what I kind of held on to. Because, uh, like, you know, why is the immune system compromised? What do you mean? You know, you, you can't just make a blanket statement saying that, you know, and, and, and I was going through research studies because I could see, I could see that with Brian, you know, it, it he was, he was fine in the beginning. And then, you know, vaccine injury, I should have known better, but, but, you know, vaccine injury. Um, and then he just slipped away. And I'm like, wait a minute, what do you mean? this is a, a, a lifetime, you know, a life sentence for him. There has to be something we can do other than diet, other than sensory. No, there's nothing. I, I couldn't buy it. You know, ABA therapy, nothing worked. You know, we tried speech therapy, wasn't working. In fact, I could see that he was getting upset with, with all of these therapies because, you know, uh, his intelligence level was far beyond that. He's like, what the heck are you asking me to do? You know, these silly things. Um, and later on, we realized that without any kind of therapies, he recovered well. Once, once the brain had a chance to, to, to kind of develop, you know. So um, it is now, once again, you know, as a mother, I, I sidetracked, but uh, viruses, yes. So viruses with Lyme disease and without Lyme disease. Now, depending on clinical symptoms, that's where the order of treatment comes into play. Sometimes you may have to treat viruses before you can even start treating uh, uh, Lyme disease, right? So what comes first? Toxins or is it bacteria or is it viruses? That will depend on each person. But uh, I, I will be attempting to explain and make it simpler in, in my hour long PowerPoint, which I'll be speaking at, uh, at Autism One. Yeah, Epstein-Barr is uh, so common, you know, titers are off the charts. Now, uh, in your, in your uh, methylation testing, right, you know, nutrigenomics, uh, many children show up with like VDR-TAC issues, right? So, so that is, you know, VDR is vitamin D receptor. So everyone looks at, oh my gosh, MTHFR, that's not the only one to look at. Uh, the three important ones that I like to look at is MTHFR C677, MTHFR A1298, CBS C699, as well as VDR-TAC. Okay, now um, VDR-FOQ is important if there's diabetes in the family, but VDR-TAC, vitamin D receptor, uh, there's this whole, um, uh, piece of information out there about nagalase, right? Nagalase enzyme. And, you know, um, nagalase is uh, uh, what is produced by excessive viruses in the body. It goes and blocks these VDR, um, the VDR, it blocks the vitamin D receptors. And if these receptors are already mutated, especially if it is homozygous, meaning, you know, plus plus one from each parent, so if these receptors are already mutated, that becomes a very inflammatory 
and complex situation for the child. So in this case, it becomes important to, to uh, you know, address the viruses. So I, I might use the virus blend, of course, but then I might use a couple additional herbals because I know that for this particular child, this becomes uh, extremely important because, you know, VDR blockage by, by Nagalase can lead to all kinds of terrible things like cancer and autoimmune conditions and what have you. <clears throat> okay, thank you very much uh, for explaining uh, uh, this link uh, with, with viruses. And Agales, this is also something that we often hear, but we don't understand all these uh, connections and about this also genetic testing, because we also wonder which one we should take and which are uh, the most, uh, uh, relevant ones, I would say. Um, and I have another question from, uh, from uh, Dubravka. Uh, and I would also like to say to other participants that they can uh, write me a question in the chat and then I can ask uh, you if they don't want to, to ask. Uh, I will ask Dr. Deshko if uh, they don't want to ask uh, directly. So uh, Dubravka asks uh, which lab test um, uh, the urine test in the USA, but I didn't understand maybe fully, Dubravka, if you could uh, elaborate a bit more, uh, which lab does the urine test in the USA? Uh, do you mean Lyme or? Um, yes, for Lyme and co-infection. For Lyme the and doctor, co uh, explained about uh, uh, taking diagnosis from the blood and the urine, but she said that uh, urine test in Arvin lab, it's uh, not a good one. So I just wanted to ask which laboratory in the United States is good for uh, that test? Yes, of course. Hi, Dubravka. Hi, something, just a second. Yeah, sure. Picture, okay. Okay, so it is uh, called as DNA, you know, DNA, uh, DNA connections. So connections is spelled with the X. So C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N-S. So DNA connections, uh, Lyme disease testing. Now, uh, also remember that, you know, I've, uh, I've spoken with Dr. Leslie Douglas. She is the director at the lab and uh, she's wonderful. I, I really like her. Now, you know, there are, uh, different test kits and uh, different instructions for Bionexus clients. So um, as, as a courtesy to the group today, I will, uh, you know, I will uh, give you that information as well. So when you, when you order this uh, test kit, you know, if they ship, they used to ship, you know, for a $75 fee, everywhere, but uh, it, it probably depend on your country now. So you can certainly ask them and, you know, you can tell them that I referred you, that's fine. But um, when you collect the urine sample, the lab instructions are, are, are good, you know, but they tell you that post-exercise, collect one sample and you're done. But that is for patients who are only looking for Lyme disease, right? That, that's the only thing. Most of my patients with autism, uh, if you feel that your child may have biotoxin illness, may have had mold exposure, then you have to do two collections, okay? What you will do is uh, follow the, the lab instructions. So you will 
uh, do exercise and then you know collect one sample, uh, but only fill half of the urine cup and put it in the fridge and then go about the normal routine. Mm -hmm. And the next time your child has to go pee, take the very next sample as well. And then you fill up the cup, shake it and send that. So this is going to be a mix of two urine samples, one post-exercise, which you know the lab will send you the instructions, but you have to collect the second one if you suspect mold exposure. So uh, this, this is, you know, immune system explanation, long story, but uh, we are not looking for the first discharge from the immune system post-exercise. We are looking for the second one as well, because when there is Lyme and mold, there is a lot more immune dysfunction than when there is just Lyme. So you, uh, you have to try and collect the second attempt, because it may take the immune system longer to throw toxins out through the kidneys. Okay, so two sample collections. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, great. Uh, uh, I think it would be good now, as you mentioned also mold, to talk a bit about mold exposure. Okay. Because this is something also very common in uh, our kids, uh, as I understand. And as I, I don't know how much time you have, I'm just trying kind of. <laughs> well, we have uh, okay, no, no problem. Like, you know, um, I have an hour today. Okay. Okay. Right? So, and, so we still uh, have some time. Okay. Yeah, we yeah, do. Just, we do. Yeah. Yeah. Just to cover, you know, this issue of mold. Is mold exposure very common in autism spectrum disorder? And how would you recommend that uh, we detect it? And are, are there any kind of specific symptoms for mold, or you know, it just kind of aggravates uh, the the other infections, uh, the other you know, the, the infections that exist. Uh, right. like okay. Lyme and uh, co-infection. So if you have mold exposure, is this, uh, is this common? And how do you see the symptoms? Are there any specific symptoms or not? Uh, and, uh, you know, how to handle, in, just in brief, because we don't have too much time, you know, so many questions. And you know, I know that you already had one podcast, podcast only on mold, and, you know, we can talk a lot, but maybe just in brief. Yes, of course. Uh, mold itself can cause uh, a lot of brain inflammation. Mold exposure actually causes brain damage. So between one and seven nuclei in the gray matter can shrink and between one to three areas in the white matter can swell up. So, uh, you know, um, it is quite understandable that it causes a significant amount of brain damage. One of the best examples I like to give again is of Brian, you know, here, I did not discover about mold. Mind you, I started treatment when he was 18 months old and not until he was nine years old did I discover about the mold, you know, because I, it was a very excruciating step-by-step -step process for us. So uh, we, we did the mold brain MRI it's called brain MRI NeuroQuant, not available anywhere else in the world except uh, um, the US. And um, we found, you know, when the MRI came, I mean, um, most of you might know, you know, my, my background training is pediatric neurologist, right? So I'm looking at the MRI, I'm like, take it back, it's a mistake. You know, my son is only, uh, you know, nine years old. They said, no, this is Brian's MRI because it looked like it was the brain MRI of a 65-year-old with Alzheimer's disease. 
so many nuclei shrinking, you know, swelling, or oh, what the heck is this? Two and a half years of uh, specific, uh, specific targeted mole treatment. And then the brain MRI went back to normal because we had already treated everything else, right? You know, we had done biomedical, we did uh, Lyme, co-infections, what have you, but he was still in a wheelchair. So we, what is, what are we missing here? You know, there was still pain. Uh, then this is where it exploded. You know, I mean, uh, after treating the mold, obviously by this time, everything else was treated. That's when, you know, language came in. So he was already in seventh grade. Uh, and then eighth grade, it just completely took off. You know, I mean, freshman year of high school was absolutely phenomenal. You know, he's, he's doing this biology, uh, uh, US biology Olympiad, you know, he's winning medals. I'm like, it just literally exploded after that. So yes, it's very important to treat mold. Now remember urinary mycotoxins, urine testing for mold is 1% of what's really going on in the body. That is just what's going on in the gut. Okay, so to assume, uh, but just understand that, you know, if you have some urine mold showing up, that is more of a detox problem than a brain damage problem. Okay, uh, mold is, um, causes inflammatory cytokines to rise in the body and they damage multiple organ systems. Then on top of that, any old Lyme disease and co-infections will come back up. Or if there is mold and Lyme all at once, then Lyme, it's not possible to cure either one without, you know, because they feed each, each other. Mold causes chronic inflammation and infections love inflammation so they can grow more. So this is what happens. And that is why I say that if there is both, it's very important to proceed carefully. You know, otherwise, you know, parents get frustrated. I'm not seeing any progress. In the beginning, I saw progress. What's going on? You know, uh, so don't start blaming anyone. Don't, don't lose your patience. Just understand that. Did you do it correctly? Okay, well, yeah, uh, this is also uh, a little bit shocking how mold uh, can do a damage, uh, as you say, brain damage. Uh, this is, um, yeah, hard to, hard to believe somehow, but when you get a bit into this topic, then you start realizing how something that you cannot see and, you know, you cannot even imagine that it exists, uh, how it can, you know, make, make such, uh, such a big damage. Uh, to wait, wait, wait. I'm, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry if I may interrupt. You know, uh, you said correctly, hard to believe, right? But uh, you know, 30,000, 30,000 brain MRI neuroquants have been researched and studied, and you know, the there are four research studies in uh, published in peer-reviewed journals for a while now that outline the damage that is done from a mold exposure. So that is why, you know, in, in some, I mean, the, the actual Shoemaker panel blood tests are only available in the US and now it's becoming available in the UK as well, right, in London. But uh, other than that, you know, urinary mycotoxins, um, 
is gives you a little bit of an indication that you know there might be something with uh, with the which is related to mold which might be uh, which might be going on right so um, you need to keep um, you need to keep that in mind is that you know it is safe to assume if there is obvious mold exposure that it's a very strong possibility that there is brain damage especially to a developing brain you know i've i've got parents who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing stem cells doing ivig doing you know all of these aggressive treatments all you know i guess because it's hope and um, you will see some changes, but you may not see lasting changes. You know, one example is with, uh, with stem cells. Um, many, 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 many parents report. And if, even if you look at the, the groups on social media, they will tell you that after stem cells for between four, anywhere from two to eight months, big, broad range, there is crazy hyperactivity, you know, it's impossible to manage the child, et cetera. So no one has really researched anything. You know, was, was the child first treated for mold toxins? Did you investigate all of the medical issues? Did you investigate um, all of the toxins? Toxins, infections, right? Environmental issues, genetics, methylation. By the time you investigate and treat all of this, you don't need to spend hundreds of thousands on, you know, uh, invasive. I don't believe in invasive treatments. I don't think that is required. You know, I, uh, it's poor kids. I mean, making these little bodies go through anesthesia, go through, you know, invasive treatments, go through bone marrow aspirations, whatever. Oh my goodness. I, I don't think it's required, but uh, do they work? Yes. Many times these invasive treatments will give you a band-aid approach and stem cells you know depending on on the donor you know depending on the state of your body there are at least 50 to 60 variables uh which you know uh, what have you addressed prior to these aggressive treatments invasive treatments uh what are you doing after these invasive treatments so there's so many factors that come into play uh, and that is what you will see the result from this you know uh, and both kinds of parents will post on social media. We did phenomenal. So uh, other parents get hope. But, you know, I've, I've been trying for so many years that to, you know, through, through my lectures in, in so many different countries that please take a scientific approach. Educate yourself. Be patient. There is no magic pill. There, there isn't, you know, I've, I've had patients that have done four rounds of stem cells, 11 rounds of IVIG, you know, and, and they are still nowhere. Like minimal improvements, you know, but, but when you do it correctly, when you do a really good herbal approach, you will see lasting gains. Thank you so much uh, for this, because this was also one uh, on the list of our questions about these other approaches. Uh, and Join us next week for part two. Thank you for joining Master Herbalist Dr. Jody A. Dashaw, Director of the BioNexus Health Clinic and BioNexus Herbals, on the BioNexus Health Podcast, 
where we explore and share information and stories about recovering and healing from chronic and environmental illnesses such as mold biotoxin illness, Lyme disease, autism spectrum disorder, fatigue, Crohn's and colitis, mast cell activation syndrome, PANS, and more. Please help us grow our message by subscribing to our podcast channel and sharing the podcast on your social networks. For more information visit bionexushealth.com. Information within this video, audio, or text, collectively known as the podcast, has not been reviewed by the FDA. Nothing within the podcast is intended as or should be construed as medical advice. Information is for general informational and educational purposes only. Consumers of the podcast should consult with their healthcare practitioners for medical recommendations. Seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider. Do not disregard the advice of a healthcare provider based on any information from the podcast. The information within the podcast may contain information concerning dietary supplements or over-the-counter products that are not drugs. Our dietary supplement products are not intended for use as a means to cure, treat, prevent, diagnose, or mitigate any disease or other medical or abnormal condition.